With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UJ Podcast. I'm Tyler, and with me on the other end of the line is my co-host, Curtis. And on today's show, guys, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look back at the coaching carousel in the SEC East specifically. We're not going to look nationwide necessarily. We're going to look really specifically at the SEC East. And because uh, all that took center stage immediately after the regular season concluded, and it really didn't end until Tennessee hired Jeremy Pruitt late last week to fill their head coaching vacancy uh, after their blissfully dysfunctional mess of a coaching surge. That's how I would describe it. Uh, and obviously, you guys know who, who ended up where, so we're not going to try to insult your intelligence there. But what we're going to do is kind of dig into what it all means. We kind of held off on digging into this on the podcast. For a couple of weeks there, because we didn't want to speculate. Rather, we kind of wanted to wait until everything ran its course and then kind of review what we thought of how it all turned out when it was all said and done. And in particular, we want to kind of look at what it means for us as a program moving forward. So that's what we're going to do today now that everything has kind of slowed down on the coaching front. But first, just a couple quick reminders. You guys can follow us on Twitter at Glory underscore UJ. Love to hear your thoughts on everything going down uh, with the dogs this season. Uh, you can also email us your thoughts to our uh, email address, gloryujpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and uh, for some of you newer listeners, just want to make sure everyone knows where you can find the show. Obviously, you listen to us somewhere, but you can find us on some of the bigger outlets out there like uh, iTunes and SoundCloud, also the Stitcher and TuneIn apps. And you can find the show on dollarsportsradio.com, part of the larger vSport O internet radio network, which you can also download their app to your smartphone. So, Check us out on one of those places. Uh, and just to also, guys, just a reminder that we really appreciate all of you tuning into the show. We really sincerely do. Uh, if you get a free second to kind of uh, rate and review the show on your preferred platform, we'd also greatly appreciate that because that would definitely help us out as we continue trying to, to grow the show here. All right, Kurt, let's go ahead, though, man. Let's not waste any more time, and let's get into some conversation here about the coaching carousel that was. And we're going to start with two coaches that are still, as of right now, on December the 11th, still on our staff, and that's Mel Tucker and James Coley, both staying put in Athens. It looked like it, look, it looks like maybe Tucker might not have actually ended up having the option after after interviewing for the Tennessee job. It looks like he got two interviews there, but he ended up getting it. Uh, looks like he did not get offered that job. But Coley staying, uh, that seems to be completely of of his own free will there, Kurt. So. Those two guys, Mel Tucker and James Coley, again, as of right now, things are always fluid. It could change. It looks like both those guys are going to be returning to Athens for their third year with Kirby Smart. So, Kurt, how big is it for our program to get both Mel Tucker and James Coley back again? Um, I actually think it's really big, and the biggest reason to that is I think, you know, you kind of saw it in this year. This was one of the first times in a while we've had continuity with the staff and um we were able to, you know, players were able to get comfortable. I mean, other than the defensive line, there wasn't really turnover. So the players did get better, and they got more comfortable in the system. And I think that's huge to continue it, to allow our players to continue, you know, what they know and the coaching and, you know, go year from year, not trying to change terminology and things like that, and just being able to build on what they've been doing. Yeah, that continuity is critical, especially when you're still early on in the Kirby Smart era. Let's be real. I mean, I know we've had an incredible year this year. 
kind of exceed a lot of people's expectations, including ours, uh, for at least the 2017 season. But we're still early on in the Kirby Smart tenure, right? Exactly. And when you're that, when you're still early in the tenure, you want to have as much stability, as much continuity early on, so you can continue to establish your program year by year. Now, if we're in like year seven or eight, losing one of those guys might not be as big of a deal because we would have the program humming by then. And it looks like we're humming right now, but we're still a very young program. We're still trying to build depth, and we need more recruiting classes that we to add on top of the the two that we've gotten here uh, since Kirby's been involved with this. Uh, that have been elite classes. Okay, we're in the process of building another one right now. If everything kind of falls into place, the 2018 class. But when we're still early on in the tenure of a new head coach, especially a guy who's who is still, I mean, a second year head coach moving to his third year next year. But it's critical to have these guys back for the for continuity's sake and, and to continue to build the program so we so that we can kind of continue to grow into that well-oiled machine like Alabama has been over the past decade or so here. Uh, who, which guy would you say coming back is a bigger, uh, a bigger pull to kind of keep him back with us? I have to go with Mel Tucker. I, I mean, I, we're going to lose him eventually. Um, and that's oh, yeah. the thing. I, I mean, the thing is, especially with Coley, we knew we weren't going to be able to hold on to him for that long because we knew it was just a matter of time before he got another OC job. But I think uh, Tucker is one of the biggest things. So I think he does a great job of connecting with the defensive recruits. Um, he coaches one of the important positions right now in the secondary. I mean, you're going to see them front and center against a team like Oklahoma. And I think just right now that the connection he has with these kids um is very vital for some of our recruits I mean, a lot of our big time recruits that we're trying to finish up with are on the defense side of all we've got offensive guys um uh, but defensive guys are the ones we're trying to you know close with and i think if we have turnover right there that hurts us in our closing ability and you know right now i think you can replace an offense you know wide receivers coach with someone um but i think defense is the biggest thing i mean right now because the tennessee job and the alabama job more likely would have still been open um, and so you could have seen Cher go there. And the guy who I believe is the heir apparent to be the DC one day is Schumann, and he is definitely not ready. So the longer you know, the, the longer we can hold on to Tucker and allow Schumann and who, maybe whoever else Kirby wants to take that position to develop more is very vital, in my opinion. Yeah, I do think I agree with you. And I had a couple Twitter questions about Schumann. I, I do think down the road he is the heir apparent. Uh, I mean, I don't. I, I tend to agree that he's probably that Kirby would prefer him to get a little more seasoning before he takes the the coordinator job. But I do think down the road, long term, he's probably in the plans there if all if everything goes according to plan for Kirby at that DC position. I, I tend to agree with you, Mel Tucker, being a bigger uh, the bigger guy to have come back. I mean, it, maybe you can just look at it by by virtue of the fact that he coaches the the entire demons. He's the demons of coordinator, where as opposed to James Coley, who's the wide receivers coach, like you mentioned. And I think. One big thing that you got to factor in here is I think Kirby really trusts Mel Tucker. Don't you kind of get that sense? Yeah, I mean, you saw it this year, especially last year. He had a lot of – he was very – Yeah, he was very – he micromanaged the defense last year, and I think he learned from that. Yeah, and this year, I mean, he'll make some calls and things like – I mean – that's just who he is, but he, like you said, he's not micromanaging. He's not. He's allowing. He's allowing Tucker to do his thing, and I think that's why the defense. Um, it's given him some more freedom and more comfortability, also. Yeah, and for a young, still again, a young head coach and Kirby Smart to have a guy like that on the demon side of the ball that you really trust, and and, and you trust him to run your system. He's running Kirby's system, right? I mean, we we know that, I and mean, this is the system that Kirby's running in Alabama for the most part, with a few minor tweaks here and there. A little more cover too than the one we saw from Alabama the past couple of weeks, but still, it's largely the Alabama system, and he trusts Mel Tucker to kind of implement that system and kind of, I guess, kind of implement his vision there on the defensive side of the ball, and that's that's invaluable right now. Uh, I, I do think getting Coley back is really big though too. I, I'll say for me because Coley chose to come. It looks like again, it looks like Tucker. 
he didn't get the Tennessee job, so it looks like he might not really have the options. Like he didn't get that job, so of course he didn't stay at Georgia. But Coley coming back, I mean, this guy got offered from all accounts. It sounds like he got offered the Texas A&M offensive coordinator job. And you mentioned this. We all just assume it was a matter of time because Coley's been an offensive coordinator before at Miami, a little bit at Florida State there. We assumed it was a matter of time once we got that promotion. He was going to take the first opportunity, especially when it's a job at Texas A&M with Jimbo Fisher. Money was probably good there. So I, I'm honestly surprised that he did not take that job. So to me, I think his choice to stay here in Athens is the latest evidence that Kirby Smart is building something special in Athens. I mean, sure, there were other factors involved with Coley choosing to stay. I'm sure his family played a factor into it. I'm sure they, they, they liked the Athens area because how could you not? Athens is the greatest city on the face of the oh. earth. Um, and I think Jimbo's presence there, you know, he's a guy that likes to have a, a heavy influence in the offensive play calling. Yeah, so, I mean, when you're an OC at FSU, you're almost like a co-OC. Yeah, I mean, are you really the offensive coordinator? Jimbo's the guy that's going to be calling the plays. I mean, well, you would think. I mean, I, we don't know the conversation they have, but Jimbo's going to have a heavy influence there. So I think there are other factors probably involved, but still, he's a guy who had a chance to leave. He's another guy who had a chance to leave for more money and a promotion. I know Chubb and Michelle, they weren't coaches, but they had a chance to leave and, and go get paid last year, but they didn't. They chose to come back as they had buy, they had bought in. Uh, so it, to me, this is another example of not only have the players bought in, which is obviously critical, but the coaches have bought in. When you see a guy like James Coley turning down an offensive coordinator job, and a rival, or not a rival, but an SEC school in the West there with a chance to make a lot more money to get what would be seen as a promotion. I think that this is just another another bit of evidence that people are buying into what Kirby's like, not just players now, but coaches too. And I don't, I don't think you can underestimate the type of recruiter Coley is too. Uh, and Mel Tucker's a great recruiter, and he really connects with the players well. But Coley is an ace recruiter, man. He's got like he's got the connection out of South Florida that we've been trying to tap into. Uh, so he's a guy that, and I'm sure if, if he went somewhere else, Kirby would try to get a guy with South Florida ties somewhere along the way. But having him on on staff as a recruiter, I mean, and also consider the elite wide receivers we already have committed for that 2019 class. You know, with Jaden Hazelwood and Dominic Blaylock. If if Coley leaves, I mean, we don't know, but it could have really affected those guys. And those guys are legit. Jaden Hazelwood is AJ Green. I mean, I don't want to say he's going to be as good as AJ Green, but he's that type of receiver. He's that good guy. I mean, this guy is legit. So, you know, it's good to get him back, but I'm with you. Tucker's probably a little bigger to get back. I mean, he's just a great football coach, you know? I mean, Yeah, like you said, it's just the role of the whole defense. Yeah, he's, he's a teacher. He's a schemer. He's a recruiter. He's all around just such an asset to our program. And to keep him here for what, again, at least right now, looks like at least one more year, it just gives us one more year of further establishing Kirby's vision, should make the program stronger and more able to down the road eventually withstand the loss of a coordinator the caliber of Mel Tucker. So I think it's huge to get both these guys back, but I would probably lean towards Tucker being the, the bigger one there. All right, well, let's uh, move in here to for a few minutes to talk about this, this dysfunction, man, over in Knoxville, or up in Knoxville, I guess. So, Kurt, the Tennessee hire, they, we all know, I don't want to recap it, we all know it was all over the place, man, got turned down by what, I think it was 74 different people, something crazy like that. A lot of different people turned this job down, and I don't blame them at all. They end up with Jeremy Pruitt, who used to be here, you all know, as our defensive coordinator for a couple of years. So, Curtis, how would you assess this Tennessee hire with ultimately ending up with Jeremy Pruitt? Um, I think Pruitt's a good hire. I don't think he's the hire, the, the great hire that everyone that a lot of these Tennessee fans are saying. How they think, it, you know, it's a lot. They kind of wanted to follow like what George did with Kirby Smart. And let's be honest, he isn't Kirby Smart, and yeah. I think that's the big thing that these te- those people just don't understand. Is one thing that makes Kirby so good is you know 
he's a great recruiter. He's a, get, a great coach, great teacher. But his connections are what makes him who he is, especially recruiting. Because he has yeah, his, probably, his connections in the state, especially. Yeah, he, he probably has the most connections in the state of Georgia when it comes to high school coaches. I mean, his dad and, was a former know, high school st- coach in the state. Yeah, and you got to go through. Yeah, he has connections, but a lot of his connections are built in the state of Alabama. But let's be honest, not that many great prospects come from the state of Alabama. No. No, he cannot rely yeah, on the state of Tennessee and state of Alabama to recruit exactly, to Exactly, and I think that's one of the biggest things that's undersold of, or undervalued of Kirby is his connections in the, this state, which produces such t- top talent. That's what helps him in shutting down the state. I mean, for people that don't understand it, it Kirby has the tight connections that, say you have a kid that's a freshman, and people are like, oh my god, this guy's going to be a stud. He's getting a call, or t- he's getting he's getting contacts by these high school coaches saying, come check this kid out, he's going to be a monster. Yeah, Absolutely. So in your and I think that's one of the biggest things, and not only that, but I also want to go with the fact that I'm going to be honest. Jeremy Pruitt is a very unstable person. Oh, there's no doubt about that. I got that in my and notes I think here that's too. The biggest thing is you have you have two huge egos at the University of Tennessee right now with Fulmer and now Pruitt, and I, I just I really am interested to see how that's going to turn out with their egos. And not only that, but all right, let's be honest. This Bama defense right now is probably one of the worst they've had in probably the last decade. Yeah, and, and it's still a great that, defense, but comparatively speaking, you're right. Yeah, comparatively speaking to what they've had is not what it's used to. And then not only that, but if you look at recruiting, they don't have a single five-star defensive recruit committed by the time he left. Yeah, that's that's fair too. And this is Alabama we're talking about. And a, that's Alabama. That's, I mean, I, I think Pruitt is a good recruiter, but he's had Alabama to sell, and these and he's not been able to sell it like you would like Kirby yeah, had. That's, that's that's a fair point. I, I, I agree. I think I think Prude is a very, very good recruiter. He's just not he's not at Kirby's level. It's just as simple as that. I think I think Kirby is the best recruiter in America and we have him as our head coach. Now he's limited somewhat in he what he can do now as head coach versus when he was a, a uh uh, a defensive coordinator, but still, I think Kirby is he he's he's the elite of the elite when it comes to recruiting. So, from what it sounds like, it doesn't really seem like you feel that this Pruitt hire at Tennessee really impacts the outlook of the SEC East moving forward. Is that fair to say? I mean, I think they're good. I think they're going to be a lot better. I think I actually think they'll probably be the number two team behind us in the future, ahead of Florida. Like as in, like next year future or down the road? No, like two or three years down the road. Get some pretty classes in. They've got a huge cleanup to get that that um, program back on track, and then not only that, but people have to realize his recruiting class, this class, is not going to be that great. So now you've given Kirby almost a two to three year head start. He's got a three, at least a two and a half three year head start. And at that's least. the thing. This is what made Saban what it is, what he is now. Because once he got that head start, the teams were trying to play catch up, and his teams right. And kept you just build, so yeah, the exactly. You win like we did this year, and you build recruiting class on top of recruiting class on top of recruiting class, and that's when you have dynasty conversations starting. And, and that's and then also like exactly that's dynasty, and that's what you sell to these kids. You're like, look, come be a part of this. Where those teams are trying to sell, you know, we're coming back. But as we're winning, we keep selling that winning while those teams are trying to catch up. And we continue to roll. Yeah, I agree. I uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you. Uh, I'm, I'm I feel very similar to you on this. I'm, I'm I will be honest. I'm kind of torn on this hire of Jeremy Pruitt because I do think, like you were mentioning, I think Jeremy Pruitt is a really good recruiter, and I think he's going to upgrade their talent. I really do. He's he's cut from the same saving cloth that Kirby is. But here's the thing. I think you kind of touched on this. Yes, they both, Kirby and Pruitt, both come from the Saban tree, right? And a lot of Tennessee fans are pointing out, say, oh, we're about to do the same thing George is doing with, with Kirby. We've got Pruitt now. He's he kind of mentored under, or he kind of learned under, apprentice, I guess, under uh, Nick Saban, just like Kirby did. But here's the thing, guys. They might be cut from the same Saban cloth, 
but Pruitt just simply is not as polished or experienced as Kirby. Let's be real, not even near as much experience. It's not not been as I mean, look at his look at his where he's been, and look at how he's either run out of town. The or, bridges that have been burned. As yeah, he's the bridges left that have been burned. Yeah, honestly, to me, there's just a refinement that Kirby Smart has that Jeremy Pruitt is completely lacking. Okay, I mean, you saw in his press conference that was the worst. Uh, it was uh, bad. Coach introduction conference I've ever seen. Yeah, it was bad. It was absolutely bad. So, I mean, I, on on one hand, I do see Pruitt potentially being. Yeah, I think he'll be a thorn. I do think yeah. he'll be better. Yeah, I, I think he'll be a thorn in our side on the recruiting front more than Butch Jones was. I think he will recruit better than Butch did. And Butch gets all this credit for. I mean, he really upgraded the roster there, and I guess he improved the roster from where it was. But I mean. That's consider where they were coming from. That's not saying all that much, but he gets a lot of credit for being this great recruiter. But guys, I went back and looked at it, and did the math here. According to the two four seven composite rings, takes into account the ratings of all the different recruiting services out there. Butch Jones only signed two five star recruits in five years. Two five star recruits in five years. Okay, he had he did have a number seven class and a number four class in two different years. But on average, including those two classes, on average he finished with a number thirteenth ranked class overall nationally, which is good. It's solid. But that is not elite. That's not going to keep up with Kirby Smart. I do so. I do see Jeremy Pruitt upgrading that because I think he's a relentless recruiter who understands the importance of recruiting. And I also think, by virtue of working with Saban, I think he understands how to build an organization with the support staff to kind of help support the recruiting efforts. Again, like the Saban model, he kind of helped implement some of those things when he was here for a couple years in Athens. Uh, so they're going to have players, and, and they're, they're going to beat us on a few guys from time to time here and there. Not often, but it's, it's going to happen here and there. So he'll, he'll upgrade that roster. And I think part of that, his staff's going to be very important, particularly uh, particularly his offensive staff, given his background is on the defense side of the ball like Kirby's. But I just, even though I do think he'll upgrade the roster, I don't think he's going to dominate us on the trail or anything like that. Do you? I mean, no, that's what I'm saying. I don't he's see been able that. To spell Alabama, and he hasn't dominated yeah. us. Kirby's taken a bit of thorn in his side. Yeah. And another thing that it's just like the sentiment. Kirby's able to sell, hey, stay home. You know, I came home. I want to win. I want to win at the university, at, you know, at my university, at my school. And he's been able to sell that. And that's a cool thing to, you know, say, stay home, uh, you know, lock down the state. Where that, that's just one of his calling. Sure. You know, call your guys. And it's just some certain things like that that he's had that he's able to use. Yeah, no doubt about it. And like, so uh, I'm, that's why I'm talking. Like, I, I do see him being a good recruiter and upgrading their talent. I don't think he's going to start out recruiting Kirby and our staff. I don't see that happening anytime soon. But I do think he'll upgrade their talent. But and one thing I do want to question, though, is yeah. his staff. I actually have a. His well, let's staff look at that real quick. So a lot, the, the Tennessee fans are all excited about like Rocker and Shearer and all these guys, Rump coming in. The fact that they got Shearer as a defense coordinator, is, is that much of a loss to you? Are you upset about losing Shearer to Tennessee? because if you're a Georgia fan, you know for a couple of years. I mean, look at our team right now. We have no depth at the outside linebacker position. We're relying on kids that are going to be coming in next year. Yeah, we year. need Britton Cox bad. I mean, we need we're, him. And people like Adam Anderson, we're relying on them to come in and be yeah. immediate co- contributors. Because we don't have depth right there. And I it mean, sucks the Ojolari's injury. He might not be able to play much next year. He put it all in like Brian Burns and people like that. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, look, I think Cher is a good recruiter. I think he's an underrated recruiter, but and he's a good coach. But here's the thing: he's not irreplaceable, right? I don't, I don't no, see him it, in any way as irreplaceable. That's what I said. It'd be a bigger loss to lose Tucker than it would oh, as yeah. a DC than it would be him as a DC. Oh yeah, if you'd have told me, okay, well, we're losing Mel Tucker, Tennessee as their head coach, 
or you're going to lose Shearer to Tennessee as Beamus coordinator. I would take Shearer all night and day. Get him out of here. I mean, he, I have nothing against Kevin Shearer. I think he's done a really good job. He's been here for a couple years now. I totally understand why he would take the, the step up and go to a defense coordinator job. I get it, man. No hard feelings. But it just I don't think in any way whatsoever is he an irreplaceable member of this staff. I think he's a good guy. I like. I, I, think, I think he did a good job here. But I think we can get other guys can do pretty much the exact same thing he's been doing, if not even a little it, better. It's all about as long as we got Kirby and people like that who can do train these guys. Exactly. And Kirby's got like a little minor league system of sorts and that support staff group. So I, I have – until Kirby Smart gives me a reason to not trust him, I have 1,000% confidence in him putting his staff together and getting guys to recruit because Kirby knows the importance of recruiting. What about yeah, Tracy I mean, Rocker at, getting back in the game? like that doubted Del McGee and stuff. Yeah, exactly. All those people doubting McGee, and look what he's become. What about Tracy Rocker getting back in the game over there? You know, he's good at developing talent, but he's the last couple of years, especially once Kirby took over, and that's who, you know, Pruce could try to be somewhere Kirby demanding what they, you know, to work as hard as Kirby was, and Rocker was not you know, was not thrilled by that. Yeah, absolutely. Look, and I know, you, and I do agree Rucker's a good football coach. He does a really good job developing he can, talent. He can develop talent. Yeah, That's he's, I, I'm not going to, yeah, he really can do that. You and, just have to have the talent to develop. Right, and and he's he was kind of up and down recruiting. Some people say, well, he landed Trent Thompson. And I say, yeah, he did. He helped us get Big Jolly, helped us get Trent, which is huge. But let's not completely gloss over the fact that he had two major in-state misses at a critical position, even to tackle his last couple years here. He missed Derrick Brown and missed on Aubrey Solomon, and that killed our depth. And that kept us from having two more elite defensive tackles on our roster. I mean, you guys well, saw what Derrick Brown did in the first that. game let's against be, Auburn. Let's be realistic. All right, people say he got John Ledbetter. No, we got John Ledbetter because we offered his brother yeah, a Yeah, that's exactly Robert. why we got Ledbetter. Let's be real here. There's people like that. I mean, it's a situation like that. And then let's be honest. Last year when he was our guy, we passed on people like Aaron Sterling and stuff who yep. go to schools and are becoming uh, contributors. Yeah. I mean, Rocker's a good coach. I, I, I respect him. I just, I'm just not scared and spooked by the fact I'm that he's going to Tennessee. I'm not scared recruiting. I think, I think Trey, Trey Scott, Scott dude. Give me Trey Scott all day. Give me Trey, young, hungry Trey Scott. That's what Rocker used to be, young and hungry. And that's what we got in Trey Scott right now. Exactly, and that so that's what I mean. I think their D line will be good, but he, he just doesn't scare me going after people. Yeah, I agree. And kind of wrap up this Tennessee conversation. So, kind of get back to what I was saying real quick here. Like I, on, I'm kind of torn between this Jeremy Pruitt hackers. I do think he's going to upgrade their talent, which I don't want to see. But on the other hand, a big but here. Like I said earlier. But this guy is completely unpolished, unrefined, rough around the edges, however you want to say it. He doesn't have yeah. near the experience Kirby has in Kirby's general. He's been training to be a head coach for five years. Yeah, and people so, say, well. Since, since, since the Tennessee job was originally open. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And Kirby, like I said, he's just more refined. Like Pruitt, from everything that I've seen from him when, during his time here, during his time in Alabama, especially during his time here, he just does not operate with the tact and the finesse that Kirby can summon when he needs to. He's just not smooth like Kirby is. And there, and you guys, if, if you pay attention to our program, you've heard some of the stories around here. And like, I can't confirm any of these with 100% certainty whatsoever, but there are a ton of stories out there about Jeremy Pruitt during, for, just during his two-year tenure here in Athens. And admittedly, some are more credible than others, but there's a ton of stories out there to the point where there's so much smoke out there. You got some, there's something yeah, to it. Yeah, they haven't been shot down the thing. Yeah, I mean, the, you, you, there's all these rumors about him being tough to work with, just being belligerent and furious, very He's manipulative. Showing up drunk at people's houses. Yeah, potentially showing up drunk at head coaches' houses. And you hear reports of, and from multiple, and I've heard this from multiple people. Thomas Brown and Mike Eckler both are ready to just to flat out end him. Uh, different times, and, I, and I've heard from people around the program that, it, I mean, it got to the point where it was so contentious at times between him and other staff members that our staff literally could not have a full staff meeting because other coaches could not be in the same room as him. And if you look at Mike Bobo, I mean, you know, Bobo, 
from what I understand, left largely because and went to Colorado State. And now he got he did get a promotion. I guess the head coaching job, but he took that job because of the Pruitt because the situation Pruitt created. Rick knew he was on shaky ground when he hired Pruitt. He knew he needed to shake things up, so he gave Pruitt a lot of influence in the, in the football operations side of things. And, and kind of implement some of the things that Bama had been running, like the, the two-spot uh, practices and things like that. And Pruitt kind of took that power and ran with it. He became overly domineering, very tactless in how he dealt with other people, and just essentially impossible to work with. He, he got manipulative, kind of went behind Rick's back a couple times, from what I understand. And, that, and that's because he had so much influence early on, and that kind of cut into the influence Bobo had, who'd, be, who'd been here for years doing a lot of things off this program, who's a, a true DGD. And when Boba had this shot at the Colorado State gig, I mean, he was out of here. So there's that side of Jeremy Pruitt, too. Like you said earlier, like everywhere he's left, outside, I guess, now leaving Alabama, there's been smoke following him, right? Like he got run out of town and burned bridges, whatever the, whatever it may be. So I just don't know, man. I, I think he'll upgrade the talent, but I don't know. Like you said, he said it perfectly. I don't know if he's a, the most stable head coach to have there, and especially with a place like Tennessee that's so unstable as it is. All right, let's move into the Florida hire here for a few quick minutes. So, Kurt, Dan Mullen, we all know, ends up coming back to Florida. Uh, some people say he's coming back home. I don't know if he's coming back home. He was there for a couple of years under Meyer. I don't know if that's home. But for whatever reason, he's back in Gainesville now. So, Kurt, does the Florida hire of Dan Mullen, does that change the equation for you when it comes to the SEC East moving forward? Not, not at all. Let's be honest. Dan Mullen was like their fourth choice. And, you know, that's one thing that's not getting talked about is he was not their original choice. And not even then. I mean – he, he develops quarterbacks pretty well, but I can't count the number of times his teams were all of a sudden rising in the rankings and they would meet a good team and get and get exposed. Yeah. No, absolutely. And then, I mean, I what was it? I can't I don't I don't have it off the top of my head, but I, I believe his like record against ranked teams was like what, two and fifteen or something? Something along those lines. It, it was terrible. Never beat and Alabama. It was, a, it was absolutely terrible. And then that's the thing, I mean, it, it doesn't matter. I can't. No, to his to his credit, he was playing at Miss he was coaching at Mississippi State with Mississippi State players. Well, I mean, I get that, but here's my thing. I get he's at Mississippi State, but if you're a great recruiter, you can still get more than what he has. Well, that's the thing. I mean, he's he, not a great recruiter. He, he landed, what, one five-star his whole time there? And the kid, yeah, Jeffrey the, Simmons. Kid, yeah, and the kid should have been kicked off for uh Because, because he destroyed – he beat a woman while she was on the ground? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, that's, and he had to take him because that's the only five-star he – I think – I really yeah. believe that's the only five-star he ever got there. Yeah. And that's the thing. He doesn't scare me because he, he – to me, he's a better coach than McElwain, but he's just the same at recruiting. Yeah, that I, I think that's a very great point. That's kind of what I have here. I think he's made his reputation out of doing more with less, but I don't think he's going to be a, a particularly effective recruiter. He's just never had that reputation. I, I guess it depends on who he surrounds himself with, with his coaching staff. Maybe he can hire some really – you I mean, know, young he's and hungry. And stuff, though. I mean, yeah, and Grantham's not known as an outstanding recruiter. I mean, he's he's gotten some guys. He's done some good. He, he got George against for us, but he's not. He still doesn't have that reputation as like a Kirby Smart, Jeremy Pruitt, Ace type recruiter. Uh, and, and and maybe you can say in some ways Florida sells itself. I guess, but not lately, that really. That hasn't happened the past couple of years. So why are we going to expect that to happen with Mullen? I think you're right. I don't think it's much of an upgrade from a recruiting standpoint. And that's really what ended up getting. Well, that's part of what ended up getting McElwain. McElwain also was just an idiot. Um, but that, that's a big part of what ended up getting him. But here's the other thing about Dan Mullen. People want to call him an offensive genius, right? And maybe he was once upon a time, but his scheme that he still runs, which is, is, is very similar to the same scheme that he was running with Urban Meyer's head coach with Tim Tebow. That scheme is not new anymore. It is not cutting edge any longer. Everybody's caught up to that. People can defend that. They know how to defend that offense. So, like, 
it doesn't scare me that, oh, now we got Dan Mullen back into the SEC East. And now he's got, he's at Florida game where he had Tim Tebow. Okay, you know what? We've been there. We've done that. We know how to defend that. And he's a guy that's really dependent on having a special type of quarterback. The guy like the big physical quarterback that can be a power runner and a decent enough passer like Tim Tebow, uh, Dak Prescott, who, like, he's better than a decent passer. But you know, Nick Fitzgerald of late, I mean, he's dependent on that kind of guy. They don't have that kind of guy at Florida right now. Now, they'll probably, he'll go around and find a guy like that. But still, again, that scheme isn't new anymore. It isn't cutting edge. It's kind of my thing with Chip Kelly. Like, yeah, when Chip Kelly was at Oregon, that like, what he was doing, he was way ahead of the curve. Now everyone's caught up. It isn't new anymore. Everyone else is doing the same stuff. We've seen it game in and game out. We know how to play against. We have experience. So I just, I don't think it's a home run hire that a lot of people want to make it out to be. I think he's a, he's, it's a good solid hire. He'll, he'll win some games there. He'll, he'll, he'll probably win it up. I'm going to say eight to nine game a year level, maybe every now and then jump up with a 10 win. But I don't think he's going to be continuing for playoff spots year in, year out or anything like that. Do you? No. No, I don't at all. All right, well, let's move on. A couple more quick ones here. Going to run out of here in a second. Uh, this is kind of gets lesser talked about uh, than some of those big hires at Tennessee and Florida. Josh Heupel, the offensive coordinator at Missouri, is taking the head coach job at UCF to replace Scott Frost. So, Kurt, how will – because that Missouri offense, two years in a row, has been the number one offense in the SEC by far. So how will this affect Missouri's chance to make a move in the SEC East next year? They finished, what was six straight or five straight wins in the season, six straight wins in the season. They're on a run here, and their offense has been humming. So by losing offense coordinator Josh Heupel, how does that potentially affect their chance to make a move next year? I think it really affects them because um, you're more likely going to lose Drew Locke. If he's smart, he's gone. Well, um, I, I, here's the thing. I, that's the big thing with this for me. It's like by losing Josh Heupel, doesn't that make it more likely that Locke's going to leave instead of spending one more year with a brand new offensive coordinator? Yeah, it does because that's who he's comfortable with. I yeah. think that I think that is a good point. I think that makes him like, why would I stay? Yeah, I think if Heupel would have stayed, he was much more likely to to, st- to stay himself for his senior year. But now with Heupel out, I can really see Drew Locke, especially with some of the publicity he's getting down the stretch here. I could see him leaning towards entering the draft. He's getting a positive grade there. Much more than if Josh Heupel was coming back, but I mean, this is this is the team. Like I said, first in the SEC with over 500 yards a game, two years running. Okay, he runs this kind of hybrid air raid, Art Briles Baylor kind of ultimate spread system, and they, and they actually got better this year. Last year, 2016, they were 13th nationally with 500 yards a game. This year, they were seventh nationally with 511 yards a game. Last year, they were 31st nationally in yards per play at 6.34. This year, they were sixth nationally in yards per play at 7.24. So, I think losing him. That's a bit. I mean, again, it's kind of the same thing here. Like, like we have in Athens. Like, we're, we're talking about Mel Tucker. Well, with with Barry Odom over there in Missouri, he's still a young coach trying to establish his system. Well, I don't know if they're ready yet to lose a guy like Josh Heupel because they haven't really established that system yet. Now, maybe bring a guy similar to Heupel. I don't know. We'll see what they do there. But I think it's definitely have an impact on them next year. They still have good pieces, especially if Locke comes up. They still have good pieces. Emmanuel Sanders is a stud at receiver. Got some good guys at running back there, but. I, I, I definitely think that's going to cause them to take a little bit of a, I don't necessarily a huge step back, but I think it can kind of pump the brakes a little bit on what Missouri, what Missouri could potentially do next year. And last one here, Kurt, before we wrap it up, Kurt Roper is out at South Carolina as the offense coordinator. My question for you, because they have, I think they have pieces on that offense, and I was surprised they were they were no better than they were this year offensively. But if they get a legit coordinator that can kind of kickstart that offense, how good could that South Carolina offense be moving forward? wasn't the best but I don't believe he was the, the their fans wanted to murder him but I don't 
don't believe he was the real one at fault a lot of time. I mean, let's be honest, uh, they didn't put up the best offense, but, you know, one thing that really killed him is they don't have a great running game and they don't have a great offensive line. Yeah. What can you do when you don't have Yeah, it's kind of June Cheney last year. Offensive line, line, it hampers you. We wanted to get rid of Cheney as we struggled because we couldn't run the ball and we didn't have an offensive line to run deep passes. So, I yeah. mean, you saw how much different that changes yeah. when you have things that open it up. It's a fair point. How good an offensive coordinator can you be when your offensive line is a train wreck? And they, they, they were a little bit better this year, but they were still a bad offensive line. And passing wise, they weren't bad. I mean, Bentley was a high percentage thrower for most until of the, the last season. four games, and he became a turnover machine. Those last four, yeah, games. but yeah, he did. But throughout but the most of the year, he was fine. Yeah, and I mean, let's be honest: the games they lost, it wasn't because they weren't they weren't scoring. I mean, they they were putting up some points. Other than against us, I mean, teams like Kentucky and that beat them. They really, yeah, the defense really let them. But they average less. Uh, they average kind of right, right around like three hundred fifty yards a game. I guess South, I think maybe it's a, a product of, of, of expectations. South Carolina fans had really yeah, high I expectations. Think the problem is expectations. I don't think that. I think he, like I was saying, with what Cheney had to do last year, they're doing the best of what they had. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I, I, Especially I, when you have Debo Samuels. I mean, they were. And he gets hurt the third game they, of the year. Yeah, they were putting up big numbers when they had him. Yeah, and he gets hurt the third game of the year against Kentucky, and then as all she and then Rico Dowdle, the running back, the shotting running back goes down, and so like I, you know, there, there's some extenuating circumstances there. But I guess people were the South Carolina fans; they were just really high on Jake. They thought he was going to be a Heisman Trophy candidate for whatever that's all, reason. That's because you had analysts like uh, like old McElroy. Yeah, McElroy. Yeah. And that's also, they also, Hayden Hurst declared for the draft, and he that's a huge blow for them next year. They do get Debo Samuel back. Brian Edwards kind of emerges as a legit threat in the passing game. Still have Rico Dado, he'll come back. They got A.J. Turner. So they have some pieces there. So I think if they, and Bentley will be a year older as a junior, I think if they get a good coordinator, they could take a big step offensively. That'd be a team to watch out for. I do think that's, and now they got to fix the offensive line, there's no doubt about that. But they have some pieces there at the skill positions, no doubt. All right, guys, that'll wrap it up for us here today on the Glory UJ Podcast. Appreciate you listening into the show. Check back with us on Thursday. We're going to have uh, a recruiting show for you guys as the early signage just around the corner next week. So we'll be taking a look at the our top five uncommitted prospects that are still high on our board there. Kurt and I will give our take on that. So make sure to check back with us. It's been a while since we had some good hard recruiting talk, but we'll definitely have that on tap for you guys later this week. But thanks for listening. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. As always, go dogs.